This is the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cutmore. It's a pleasure to welcome to the program Dennis Webster. How are you doing, Dennis? Great. How are you today? Okay. Uh, Dennis Webster lives and works in the Utica area. He has a bachelor's degree from Utica College and MBA from SUNY Polytechnic. He's a paranormal investigator with the Ghost Seekers of Central New York, and he's also the author of several books about the Mohawk Valley. We've talked with him on the uh, podcast in the past, and I've worked with uh, uh, Dennis uh, at various uh, book events because uh, we have the same uh, publisher for our work. Uh, Dennis Webster's books include Wicked Mohawk Valley, Wicked Adirondacks, Haunted Utica, Haunted Mohawk Valley, and Haunted Old Forge. He's also editor and contributor to the best-selling Adirondack Mystery series. And as you maybe gather from that list of titles, Dennis loves a mystery or uh, a crime fiction, as they call it. He has a new book out uh, published by Arcadia History Press called Murder of a Herkimer County Teacher. The Shocking 1914 Case of a Vengeful Student. Can you start talking about this case, Dennis? What happened? Well, it it happened in March of 1914. Uh, Jean Giannini was the former pupil of uh, of a woman by the name of Lita Beecher. She was only 21 years old. He was 16. And uh, he had lured her up a hill in Poland and uh, murdered her. Wow. But the, the fascinating part of the case is Jean had um, mental disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, they, they declared him as a high-grade imbecile. Uh, in our day and age, when I've talked with some of local psychiatrists and that and gave him Gene's symptoms and the way he his mannerisms, they said that he probably had some kind of autism spectrum disorder or yeah. possibly an Asperger's-type syndrome. Now, when you say Poland, I mean, people up there are familiar with it. That's Poland, New York, which is in... Herkimer County, correct? Correct. Correct. And yeah. uh, Lita Beecher had been his teacher, or among those who uh, taught uh, Jean Giannini. Yeah, she she had Jean for at least one year in her classroom. Um, Jean's family had moved from New York City. They were there originally. His father was a very successful furniture dealer, uh, and Jean had troubles and struggles down in the city. Uh, but Gene had a, a lot of issues, like, for instance, he did not learn to walk and talk until he was five years old. And he, he he was able to get by in school, but he was getting further and further behind. He was 15 years old in the sixth grade, and he was barely making it hmm. when Lita had him. And there were uh, other problems in the Giannini family, and, and this all came out at the at the trial of Gene Giannini. Yeah, Gene had an older brother who only lived to the age of seven years old, and he never learned the ability to walk or talk, and he died at seven. And Gene's mother um, had mental health issues, and she also was an alcoholic. And after she gave birth to Gene, she rejected him. And then she was placed in an asylum, and she passed away shortly thereafter. So Gene was kind of passed around from caretaker to caretaker as a baby. Mm-hmm. He did and have. He had a lot of issues, so mm-hmm. yeah. And he did have uh, one sibling who survived, and it was uh, his sister. And she was, uh, well, quote unquote, normal, and was a, you know, a great supporter of of Gene. Was she not? 
Yes, uh, Catherine, or he called her Mafi. She was a big supporter of Gene. Um, when he was awaiting trial in the Herkimer County Jail, she would visit him quite often and bring him food and cigarettes. And um, The Giannini's were very beloved in the town of Poland. It was a very shocking case because, you know, the, the father moved up here with his family, married a person from the area. Uh, they were very well th- thought of in the town. And what was, and, it, uh, what was the father's name? Charles. Charles, okay, you probably said that. And that was the name of the son that passed away. He, his name was also Charles. But what did but, he do? Uh, you said he was a furniture dealer in the city. What did he do when he came up to Poland? Uh, same thing. On a smaller scale, obviously, but um, yeah, he, he was a very successful businessman, and he had very um, a, a high amount of financial wealth to be able to afford to move up here, but he pretty much spent his personal wealth to defend Gene. He paid for... Well, at the time, was the highest-priced, best defense attorney there was, a gentleman by the name of McIntyre from New York City mm-hmm. who came up here to defend Gene. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and also one of the, the pers- people that helped get Gene the, the declaration of insanity was uh, Dr. Goddard, who came up here from New York City. But he was not paid to come up and testify. Mm-hmm. And what makes this uh, case you know, significant in the law, was this the first time? Uh, that the defense of not guilty by reason of insanity um, w- was applied or, or was the outcome well, of the case? Well, what what was a landmark part of the case was Dr. Goddard applied and used what was called the Binet test or the Binet scale, which was an intelligence test that they used to determine for children and teenagers what their mental age was. Even though Gene was 16 physically, they performed this test and declared that he had the, the mind of a 10-year-old child. Uh, used in Europe quite frequently, never had been used in the United States before, and Dr. Judge Devendorf allowed it to be used in the trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I, I guess you know, maybe it does erase any mystery about this, he was not executed. He was not convicted of first-degree murder, and the, the, there was the death penalty for that in New York State. So he spent the rest of his life, and it was a long one, as I understand it, in uh, various mental institutions. Correct. He spent the, the last 74 years of his life in um, mental institutions, never to be released. Uh, even his father had testified in the trial that he, he did not want to see his son put to death, but he didn't think that he should walk the streets a free man either because he knew his son needed help. Um, and it was, it was the interesting thing was I mean Gene had uh, a fascination with true crime himself and with the with the Chester Brown or Chester Gillette Grace Brown case the the, the American tragedy murder in the Adirondacks mm-hmm. one and he ended up sitting in the same cell that Chester Gillette had occupied and if Gene would have been found guilty he would have sat in the same electric chair and been put to death wow. as a 16 year old child that that is an unusual parallel. Uh, that uh, Chester Gillette uh, killed Grace Brown, I believe, uh, also in Herkimer County, or the trial in, uh, you know, it was a lake resort area, I believe. It kind of eludes me at the moment. But uh, Gillette was tried in the same courthouse, the Herkimer County Courthouse Correct. in, in Herkimer, New York. By the same judge. Judge yeah. Devendorf's very first ever murder trial was the Chester Gillette trial. So it was the same judge. Hmm. And you say that Gene. Giannini was fascinated by that case, by that trial. I mean, do you think it was part of his motivation uh, to uh, to kill Alita Beecher? 
No, it, it was interesting that Gene readily admitted that he had mur- that he had killed her and gave a confession and readily happily signed a confession. I think because they determined because Gene didn't realize with his autism type diagnosis or high grade imbecility that he just didn't realize the ramifications of his actions. He there was a couple incidences that led him to wanting to get his revenge. He. He had just come out of six months. He got put in a reform school in Utica called St. Vincent's mm-hmm. for bad behavior. He w- got caught throwing a piece of paper in Miss um, Beecher's classroom, and the principal of the school at the time ended up whipping him with a rubber hose. So there was that incident because he felt, he said, well, other kids are throwing papers. Why did I get whipped for it? But secondly, Lita had approached Gene's father and wanted to try to get him um, she wrote a reference letter to another school to help get him in there, you know, to help further his education. But she had been reforming the father of Gene's falling behind in some of his behaviors, so he thought that she was ratting him out. Uh. So that was just enough for in his mind to feel, you know what, I'm going to get my revenge and I'm going to kill her. He openly tried to solicit other boys in the town to assist him with this. Huh. But none of them took him seriously. Hmm. And um, ironically, <clears throat> Lita Beecher at the time, just before her death, right, was trying to help him, or she had written letters or something like that? Yeah, she was very, um, she had a lot of good friends in the town, and she was, you know, a young woman, just only 21 years old, and she had written a letter of reference to another school to help, you know, working with Gene's father to help him get into maybe an alternative education type of place to help him. Uh, and then the other sad thing was she was murdered in March, and that was going to be her last year teaching in the Poland School District. She had been given a job offer in her hometown of Senate, New York, which is out near Syracuse. So she was going to be going back home uh, to teach. Wow. T- t- describe the scenario of what is presumed to have been what, uh, how she died or what happened. Um, she, yeah, what Jean had done was, and everybody saw him talking to her right on the main drag, and he told had told Lita that his father was building a new home up on the top of Buck Hill Road, which is off the main street there in Poland. And she walked with him up there, and then when they got to the top of the hill, she saw there was no house. Mm-hmm. So he had carried in his pockets a monkey wrench and a knife. And when she turned around to walk back down the hill, he hit her in the back of the head as hard as he could swing with the monkey wrench. And when she fell down into the snow... He pulled out the knife and he stabbed her multiple times until she was dead. Wow! And then he and dra- then, dragged her body off to the into the brush or something like that. Correct. What he did was at the time there was still a little bit light snow because it was March 27th. He dragged her across the road and under a barbed wire fence, and then put her next to a bush or a thicket. And the following morning is when the farmer of the area was coming by with his son and saw a blood strain, stream, you know, smear across the road. And they followed it, and they found her body. But what he did was he threw the monkey wrench, but he wiped off the knife and went back home and put it right in the drawer. And he went and had a very nice night's sleep, got up in the morning, went to his job, and he decided to walk the railroad tracks. So he wasn't running away. He was he had a habit of jumping trains and walking railroad tracks. I was going to say, and when the police picked him up, he just said in the car, yeah, I killed her. Another irony is that farmer who found the body later took his own life. Is that right? He did. He had a lot of guilt about the case. Hmm. And I don't know why. I couldn't find any research why he had he committed suicide, but he felt a lot of shame and guilt about finding her body. It obviously must have traumatized him. Hmm. We'll find out more about 
The Murder of a Herkimer County Teacher. That's the title of Dennis Webster's latest true crime history book about the Mohawk Valley. It's published by Arcadia History Press. I'm Bob Cutmore, and you're listening to The Historian's Podcast. We depend on your contributions to help us with our podcast, which is heard on a variety of websites, also carried on RISE, the service for the blind and print disabled offered by WMHT Communications. And you can uh, find our podcast uh, probably on the homepage, best of all, the homepage, bobcudmore.com. To help support the podcast, uh, cover our production expenses, we have a GoFundMe campaign going. Go to GoFundMe.com forward slash historians2017, and you can make a donation. If you'd rather send a donation in the mail, make a check out to Bob Cudmore and send to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Joining us on the podcast is Dennis Webster. His book, Murder of a Herkimer County Teacher, Lita Beecher uh, mur- Murdered by Jean Giannini uh, in uh, 1914 in Poland, a small community in Herkimer County. There is some speculation, and I believe probably the defense must have made something of it uh, during the trial. There's some speculation uh, that Jean Giannini at least had accomplices in this case. He was kind of a small man, and what, you know, dragging the body, I thought somebody testified to that uh, seemed, uh, you know, hard to hard to fathom. Do you think there was anything to that idea? I think that originally that was brought up by his defense attorney that, that Gene couldn't have done this by himself, and then he was openly soliciting some of the other teenage men in the town, but they they but they, were, they never had any proof that came forth that anybody other than Gene had com- committed the crime. He confessed that he did it all by himself, um, and they did find the knife in the drawer of his home. He pretty much told them where the knife was, and they found the monkey wrench. Uh, you know, there was one gentleman who testified, one young man who said that Gene asked me if he had a gun, and you know, can I borrow your revolver? Or would you like to help me? I'm going to kill her. You know, but Gene was a um, his mannerisms were they would they called him peculiar and odd. Um, although you know the defense, Charles Thomas, the brilliant defense attorney from Herkimer County, fought very hard to get the death penalty and get him guilty. Um, they all felt that it was a ruse that it, this whole nonsense of insanity and <clears throat> and everything else. Um, but Gene was high, a high functioning type of person. Um, you know, he was able to get by in school and he was able to read and write. Mm-hmm. But it was quite obvious from a lot of the things that had happened throughout his entire life that that he definitely had mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Well, um, now, one other interesting uh, point is that there were expert witnesses that were called by both the prosecution and the defense, and we would call them uh, psychiatrists or psychologists, but then they called them alienists. Why did they call them that, or do you know? I, I don't know, but it's 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 an interesting name. That that's that's the terms that that they used. I actually, Bob, read all four thousand pages of the typed transcripts from the actual trial. The Herkimer County Historical Society was kind enough to let me go through that and 
probably took me a good six months to read all those documents, and that's where I got a lot of this stuff from, and that's where they use the terminology alienists. And they, you name, you know, they had the most prominent alienists that were available. To, it was amazing because the crime was committed in March. The trial was in May. So they only had a few months to put this together. And yes. locally, Charles Thomas used uh, someone from the uh, Utica Asylum, the Rome Developmental School. They didn't have a lot of experience with high-grade imbeciles and Apologies for the terms. They called it morons, imbeciles. Those were the terms back then that were that are kind of politically incorrect now. But the defense brought up, well, actually, the defense was able to get the highly respected Dr. Souter of Herkimer on their side, which was amazing because he was a highly respected man uh, in New York and in Herkimer County. But Dr. Goddard had seen and analyzed over 40,000 high-grade imbeciles in his career. And he was the preeminent world expert on the subject. Mm -hmm. So I think between Dr. Souter coming in for the defense, a local man of high regard, and then the gentleman that's the best in the world coming up and analyzing Gene and doing this Binet test, saying he should be found not guilty by insanity because he's a high-grade imbecile and he's got the mentality of a 10-year-old child. Mm. But that was... I was going to say the jury took a lot of heat for declaring him not guilty. By I was going to ask you that, but what was the reaction to the jury finding him not guilty? Oh, well, it's interesting when you read court transcripts and then you read what the newspaper reporters wrote at the Times. It, it was a lot of outrage, and I think these these gentlemen of the jury were very brave because they were all people from Herkimer County. They were from a wide variety of occupations, and believe me, people wanted him put to death for this and there was huge crowds they would that courtroom was packed every day and people would pack the street because they would have to walk gene from the jail across the street over to the courthouse and i remember the same thing in the gillette case that they would he'd walk across the street yeah and and they 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 just tore apart the jury for the most part the local media or the reporters saying that they felt that they had been fooled Hmm. that a high-priced slick new york city attorney came up here and he spellbinded these simple Herkimer County folk, which couldn't be anything further from the truth. Hmm. If you read, which I did, every page of, the, of that court uh, transcript, it was, it was a compelling argument by the defense. Mm-hmm. And you could even see the way Gene even acted during the trial, fidgeting and smiling and whatever, just his, and then back then they would even, they even testified about like his physical mannerisms. He, he was short, he walked with a gait. And back then, alienists would use things like measuring the circumference of the head, the distance between your ears, the tip of your nose to the crown, to the back of your neck, and and use things like that to determine that they could be signs of imbecility. Hmm. Another. So they, the, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bob. No, I was going to say another interesting development after this case was decided. Gene Giannini wrote this poem uh, about it. Uh, can you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, that that upset a lot of people too. Gene, Gene, you know, like I said, he was literate. He could read and he could write, and he had written a poem, and he had left it in his cell. So when they came to take him, and you know, they came, the sheriff, Kirkham County Sheriff, took him away, and they took a train to Matawan, where he spent most of the rest of his life, and he left behind a poem in his cell. And this poem was basically saying that the jury. The, the jury was a bunch of fools, and, you know, and that, that McIntyre saved him from hellfire, and, you know, so... 
Yeah. Pretty dramatic poem. Well, in fact, I've got it here in front of me, two lines from it. Now here is thanks to the jurors who let me go free, the foolishest men I ever did see. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Something. It's amazing. So I'm sure that was like rubbing salt into the wounds. I mean, these people lived in the in, in this area and they had to you know, you know, get ripped apart by the, the media for make you know, for making this decision and then he leaves that poem which was published in the newspapers. Mm. And how you know, about how about the aftermath of the of the case on various fronts? I mean, um, Gene Giannini is at Matawan, which is downstate. It's a psychiatric uh, prison, if you will, for the um, mentally ill. Um, what happened to his father? Uh, did his father continue to live in Poland? Yeah, he passed away shortly thereafter. They said that that. You know, basically, this trial and this whole incident it robbed him of all his funds to, to save his son's life, but also the embarrassment and humiliation of his family secrets being aired publicly in a courtroom. You know, all the all the things about the, all the different kinds of things that Gene did, and 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 you know, the, his ex-wife who passed away, and his first child. It was just a humiliating experience where they even describe in some of the newspapers at the time that you could even see it aged him. He walked differently. He looked differently. It just it, it he didn't live much long after Gene was put away. And then Lita Beecher's family, focusing on her father, who was a minister, correct? Correct. Yes, he was. He was uh, a man of faith. Yeah, and uh, he was an interesting man because the one when you read actual documents and different things. I read a fascinating interview that was done by a gentleman from New York City who came up to Senate and interviewed Reverend Beecher. And Reverend Beecher said in that interview, I had a private discussion with Gene in his jail cell. Nobody was there, and I'm never going to talk about what the two of us discussed. But yet reporters and other newspapers wrote down as if they were right there and what those two talked about. But everybody knows that he forgave Gene for the crime. Mm. Yes, and that was seen as quite remarkable, wasn't it? It was. It was. And and, and it was interesting because he said one of the things that he thought led Gene to doing such a task was the vices of the day, that because he smoked cigarettes and because he read crime novels and that type of thing, that it led to ruination of young men who would follow their heroes in these books. Dennis Webster's book, uh, which is Murder of a Herkimer County Teacher, has uh, quite a few period of photographs. Are they some from? Uh, I believe you had a lot of help, and, uh, and to some extent, you were encouraged in this project by uh, the good folks at the Herkimer County Historical Society. Yeah, actually, um, I, she was kind enough to write the forward to the book. Sue Perkins, who's the director of Herkimer County Historical Society, had asked me, she said, you know, Dennis, no one has ever really written the true and complete story of this case. And she goes, we got this big box of the child's transcripts. It's a fascinating case. It's, everybody knows the Chester Gillette case, but no one, this case is much more of a landmark case, and no one really knows much about it. And I'll be honest, I didn't know much about it until I started delving into the research, and I said... Sue's right. This this is the kind of thing that really should be known by people. Mm -hmm. And so, did most of these pictures come from the newspapers of the day? I mean, you really, I mean, you have many pictures of of uh, Gene Giannini, pictures of Lita Beecher, and uh, their yep. where they lived yep. and all and that. 
Yes, a bunch of them came from the Herkimer County Historical Society and from the newspapers at the time. But the interesting thing, Bob, is in the book, there's four pictures, if you notice, of the shows Lita with some friends frolicking around the Poland Reservoir. Mm-hmm. Those particular four pictures, I was granted the use of those by Paula Johnson, whose great aunts are the ladies that are in those pictures with Lita, and they were good friends with her. And those pictures had never been seen by anybody ever or put in any book anywhere, ever. And it's just interesting. It just shows other, you know, her in her daily life that they said that she was a very religious young woman, very friendly and engaging. And obviously when you see the pictures, she was a very attractive young woman. Yeah. Uh, it certainly was uh, was quite a case. I think you've told the story well. Uh, we have a few minutes left. I just want to bring up some other things, other projects of uh, uh, Dennis Webster. But this book is Murder of a Herkimer County Teacher. It's uh, published by Arcadia History Press. Tell us a little bit about your, your ghost seeking. As far as we know, uh, Dennis, we have no ghosts associated with this particular crime story. <laughs> Well, we have done uh, the Ghost Seekers of Central New York. We did do an investigation of the Herkimer County Courthouse and the jail uh, in Herkimer, and we felt both very highly haunted. Um, we really do enjoy going into very historic places. Um, you know, would love to if anybody ever down in, in the uh, down in your area of the Mohawk Valley would ever want an investigation. They could find us readily on Facebook. But we we. It's very interesting when you go into some of these places and you bring all your ghost gear, your night vision cameras and recorders, and and you just sit there quietly talk and ask questions, and sometimes these spirits will respond. Well, you said that the courthouse, I mean, which does figure in this book, uh, you know, you found stuff. I mean, what did you find, or did you have any come to any conclusions? Well, well, it was very interesting. We did an EVP electronic voice phenomenon session in the courtroom, and at the time we were trying to reach out to Roxelana Drews which a lot of people know about her. She was the last woman hung in New York, tried in that courthouse, was in the same jail that Jean and Chester Gillette were in, and she was hung in front of the courthouse. Um, we feel that we had cha- that we channeled her spirit and, and she was able to respond. And the interesting thing is when that whole session was going on, I took a night digital photo, and in it, it looks like an ectoplasm noose right in the middle of the picture. Huh. It's, isn't it remarkable that that courthouse had so many um, big cases? I mean, this is this um, not small in area, but small in population county in upstate New York. But a lot went on there. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, the Roxelana Drews case, uh, and then Chester Gillette, and then Gene Giannini. It's just incredible. In the beautiful little town of Herkimer, New York, right in old that historic Four Corners, you had some of the most amazing landmark cases and, and you wonder why they're so haunted uh but yeah ghost hunting is a, is a totally different venture which we enjoy and sometimes we actually capture uh entities walking like when we did the russia union church in russia new york which is kind of near poland 1818 um church and we actually captured what we call a shadow figure walking towards the camera at that particular location hmm. Dennis Webster, uh, his book is Murder of a Herkimer County Teacher. Are you working on another book now? <laughs> Actually, can you believe it, Bob? For the first time in a decade, I do not have a project on my plate right now. Okay, um, I, which is amazing to me. I've been on. I've been. I've 
I've published so many, but I've got a few on in my mind that I would really like to do. The you know our area, as you know, with your wonderful books, we have such a rich history in our area. We are so fortunate to live where we live in this area uh, in New York State because it's just such an old part of the country. Yep, that it is. Well, Dennis Webster, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Historians Podcast. Yep, you have a good thank day. Thank you, Bob, very much. It's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. Very good. And again, his latest book, Murder of a Herkimer County Teacher, the shocking 1914 case of a vengeful student. It's published by Arcadia History Press. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.